Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 336 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 8th, 2014. We got a big show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on the show. We got Coach Harvey Hyde and a lot of questions from you guys about USC's big win over Stanford up on the farm. We're going to get to all those. If you have any questions for us, best way is email podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or you can call us at 206-888-6755 or you can go to our website peristylepodcast.com and leave a message right there i wanted to before we get on the show i uh, wanted to let people know we've had a lot of a uh, little bit of confusion going on when uscfootball.com moved over to the scout.com network it's just been over three weeks now so if you have any issues with that, you can also email me, ryan at uscfootball.com. Hopefully you don't have any problems. We have a, a frequently asked questions uh, page right up on uscfootball.com. Over on the left side of the page, if you have any issues with your old subscription and moving it over to Scout and all that. So I've been trying to help people through this. If you have any issues with that and you're a podcast listener, just email me, ryan at uscfootball.com, and we will try to help you out with any problems that you have. And wanted to welcome Coach Harvey Hyde, who was going to talk all about USC's big win up at the farm. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Brian, I'm doing pretty good. Everyone out there that is a USC football fan had to be thrilled at the end of that game. Uh, going into the game, it was a very uh, unpredictable type of game going to Palo Alto, 17 home victories in a row, Pac-12 champions two years in a row, four straight BCS Bowl games, Revenge game sort of for Stanford after USC upset them last year in the Coliseum. So the setting was right. The weather was great. Uh, everybody uh, was ready to go. As I said, you don't, great players don't miss games like that. And Williams came in and played great along with uh, Cody Kessler and Mama. You don't miss a game like that if you're a football player. And, uh, and you know, it was, I think it was in the uh, bowl setting. It was like the Rose Bowl. An exciting game where every play meant so much. Not a high-scoring game, but every play there seemed to be some uh, attachment of of thrill to it. If it's a long yardage, or what should you do? And everybody had their own opinion. I'd run it. No, I wouldn't kick it. I'd go for it. I wouldn't go for it. Every play there was some type of decision a coach had to make, and I thought it was fabulous. Um, well, I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor before we get into some of these questions here, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website. USC doesn't play at home for another few weeks, but you can get tickets for SC home games. You can get tickets for Dodgers, Angels, anything here in Southern California or across the country. 1-800-888-7287 is the number. Or go to their website, SCTickets.com. And, uh, Coach, I know how you like physical play. There was a lot of physical play uh, on Saturday in, in at, up on the farm, for USC for Stanford. We have a voicemail question that, that kind of asks about that, and I want to play it for you and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hey guys, this is Sean from Kentucky. Just wanted to call in and get Harvey Hyde's take on that offensive line, man. I know how much he loves that physical football, and you know, that's what we beat him by. We didn't beat him by the stark, high-powered offense throwing it around. We beat them up front. Our two freshmen on that offensive line played like seniors there at the end, and I, I've never been more proud of this team, how they played. They could have folded so many times, but they didn't, and they were the ones that delivered that last haymaker that knocked them out. Uh, I'm on this Stark wagon, baby. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. This is the win that can really propel a season, and I say let's go into that Notre Dame and UCLA game 10-0 and and show the nation that we are a force to be reckoned with again, and uh, I'm just so pumped now. Fight on, baby. Well, Right. I, I felt the same way you did after the game. Pretty pumped up, pretty fired up. Uh, it's a great game to, to be victorious in. And, uh, you know, when you when you go back and you look at uh, 
Stanford, the history of Stanford's offensive lines, and uh, they probably had an offensive line on the field this past Saturday that was uh, the recruitment of the 2012 class. It was probably the number one offensive line in the country. They've had a lot of experience as far as being a part of all the BCS games and everything else and redshirting and be a part of a, a winning program, which Stanford has been. And then you come to USC and everybody was talking about, as myself, myself, talking about will this offensive line be able to mature? Will this offensive line be ready to go? Uh, Simmons was injured. Walker hasn't played. Uh, two experienced players that should be out there playing aren't playing. And uh, then you look at the left tackle and you have a, a sophomore. You look at the left guard. You have a freshman. You look at the center. You have a junior. You look at the right guard. You have a freshman. And you look at the right tackle. It's a Richard freshman. You only have really one player or two players, really, that's had a lot of experience as far as playing in the offensive line and going against the front at Stanford, which is known for how physical it is, how they like to smash-mouth you. A couple of years ago, there was uh, a a nose guard on uh, one of USC centers. I know who it is, but I'm not going to mention his name, that physically manhandled him. That didn't happen this year. And uh, you look at the offensive line at USC and you say, if you're a freshman and you're playing this type of caliber football, then imagine the upside of that as these players mature, they get older, they learn their techniques, and they gain more confidence. And that was a confidence builder for them. They went in there not sure uh, but confident because all of these guys had been you know, in big football games in high school, but everybody was worried about them being on the big stage national TV and on the pregame show I did here in Los Angeles I said hey these guys are ready to be on the big stage that's why they went to USC to be on the big stage I also mentioned mama's not going to miss this game are you kidding me this is why he went to USC he's going to play in this football game and he started and he played I can't be more prouder at the way they played they will play better games Stanford will play better games there was a, a, a the game was somewhat of a game of mistakes and decision makings, but uh, you look in the left hand column for what happened. And as far as one of the biggest question marks was the offensive line in the spring and fall camp. I think now it's somewhat proved to itself and to everyone, like myself and all of our listeners and people who love to watch football, that it's a physical offensive line and it's going to be able to get it done. All right, Coach, I thought you would like the offensive line play and the way that went, but it was a little different. I mean, as far as the offense goes from week one to week two, record setting to kind of trudging along there. I mean, and as a head coach, have you kind of seen that happen before where an offense can look completely different from one week to the next? Oh, yes, all the time it did. They went into the game obviously saying we're going to run the football. And they did run the football. They outrushed Stanford in the football as far game as far as stats are concerned. Can you imagine one back rushing for 154 yards, 23 carries, I think it was, Buck Allen? Uh, only thing I say, I would have kept him in the entire game. He was having such a great game, and I'm sure he wanted to be in the game. A very physical game. Uh, I, I thought that uh, at times both teams were very conservative in their in their play calling. Neither one of them wanted to make a mistake. Uh, but SC forced them to go to a phase of their football uh, game on offense they don't want to do, which is passing the football. They forced them out of the rhythm. The first half, Stanford had the rhythm going and really had time of possession 2-1 to one over USC. But as the game went on, and this is one thing you've heard me talk about, what type of second-half team will SC be? They were down at halftime 10-7. They came back and shut out Stanford. Shut out Stanford in the second half, kicked two field goals, and won that football game. And in the fourth quarter, they had more time of possession than Stanford did. Now, that's what I'm looking for in a team. Can they finish? Can they finish? And right now, they prove they can finish. All right, let's see. Let's go. We're going to talk about the offense a little bit. We've got a couple of questions. Gene and the OC had the first one. He said, hey, Ryan, glad you're back. Really missed you guys in the program. Uh, Gene, I don't know. We didn't go anywhere. The program's been going ever since. We we just moved over to Scout, but we've still been – the entire time we've been doing the Peristyle podcast, we continue to do that. So, uh, But thanks for uh, liking the show. And he said, although I was very happy with the win at Stanford, 
he was not very happy with the offense. This looked like Kiffin 2.0. What is the use of all these great receivers if you're only going to pass to the same guy every time? This sure looks like last year throwing to Lee over and over. Maybe it wasn't Kiffin's play calling, but the problem might be Kessler's. Maybe it is time to try Max Brown. I'm sure many won't agree with this, but Saturday's performance was discouraging. Hope Sark looks into this. Gene in Orange County. Now, we can't call it discouraging. What you have to say, yes, you've got to spread the, spread the love and you've got to throw the ball. Now, Farmer caught four balls. Uh, I think Aguilar caught nine balls. The tight ends didn't catch a ball. Uh, so uh, I think they should explore the middle of the field more. They'll, they would have a lot of success there. But they're really scared to death of the outside receivers. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, you've got to throw the ball around it. But the thing that stopped him from doing that is they were pressured. He didn't have a lot of time to scan the field. He, he locked on to a receiver, and he had the feel that there was someone coming from the outside or up the middle or somewhere, and it hurried his, his decision-making. In fact, he rolled out a couple of times and threw the ball out of bounds, which was good. I don't call, I want to call it a wasted play because he would have been sacked. So by throwing it out of bounds, that's not a wasted play. Or throwing it into a crowd where someone intercepts it. So he didn't have the normal pass blocking that he wouldn't, because they're a great pressure team. Every time it was third and long or third and five, they came after you. They came after you hard. So uh, uh, they, they're a good front. And what they did with their secondary, too, they locked on pretty tight with your outside receivers so they knew they were coming after you so they uh they didn't have to uh cover very long they didn't have to cover all day because they put pressure on kessler so i i think the middle of the field might have been a, a thought uh for sarkeesian i'm not going to second guess him but he's been a big thrower to the tight ends so uh, i think he's got to start to utilize them more or they're going to start doubling up and run cover two a lot or man with free safety on their outside receivers. So you've got to, you've got to exploit the middle of the field. That one play down at the uh, the first drive uh, when they scored a touch and they threw that swing pass out to Davis, that was a beautiful play. You've got to be able to utilize your running backs in the passing game too. And I think, uh, you know, that'll come along. Uh, in that game, there's so much tension going on and excitement going on and that sometimes you lose the feel of being able to stay calm and call a game. But as far as the the victory and why you went there, there's always ways to get better. They'll take this tape. They'll look at it completely over and over and over and see what they can improve on, see what they didn't do, see what they did wrong, the whole thing, and and didn't get ready for Boston College. You know, uh, Patrick on Twitter, Coach, and we forgot to mention your Twitter handle, by the way, at Coach Harvey Hyde. At Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, you can follow the coach. I'm at Inside Troy. But Patrick tweeted me a question, and it's you know kind of along the same lines as the last one, but maybe you get some more thoughts on it. Why do you think Coach Shark did not use the middle of the field in the short passing game to the tight ends and slots? No catches for the tight end position in that game. Why didn't he? I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. He obviously either... Uh, got distracted and didn't think of it or it didn't come down from the uh, press box or he had a definite reason why not to. I know one time he tried to keep the tight end Telford in the block and the defensive end ran right over him and sacked yeah. <laughs> smack Kessler. So, you know, uh, I wouldn't keep him in the block. Uh, that that isn't going to happen. You're not going to have a tight end block defensive ends like that. Uh, so uh, I don't know, but I'm sure that they'll look at it and they'll see the way people are starting to play you. And uh, don't think people are going to not look at how Stanford played USC. They kept USC to 13 points. Uh, would they run 58, 59 plays from 105 down? Uh, so obviously they did some good things, but they have great players too. Ty Montgomery and these type of players are great players. Anderson's a great player. They got great players. Pete, I can go on and on and on. These are recruits that USC wanted. So uh, it was a battle. It was a sludge, sledgehammer type of game. And I think why there were a lot of mistakes as far as mental mistakes, not only by the coaches but by the players, there were so tense, tense and, and electricity going on that sometimes you get a little bit too excited as a coach and also as a player, and you do things or miss blocks or do certain things that you normally wouldn't do. Like David Shaw at the end of the game took complete blame on the way his team 
performed. He knows that team can perform better than what it is. Get in the red zone and only score two out of five times. Miss field goals. I mean, I can go on and on. Chop blocks on a touchdown. And then all the same way on USC on certain things that happen. So uh, this is a good learning point for both teams. Uh, fortunately for USC, they're in first place as far as in the south, and that's where they wanted to be. Um, you mentioned 59 plays. That's fewer plays against Stanford, the USC offense ran. Then they ran in the first half against Fresno State, uh, 62. But and to you know, for as far as the questions about not throwing it over the middle, I do think that's something that Steve Sarkeesian would like to do. He does want to inc- involve the tight ends. It did, unfortunately, look a lot like a Lane Kiffin kind of called offense. But I, I think you're going to see more of what we saw versus Fresno State as opposed to what was going on at Stanford. There was a reason he was trying to do that versus Stanford. He was trying to run the football. Buck Allen had, did have a, very, a lot of success. He was trying to keep the defense off the field, give them some time to rest because he knew there were not uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for them to sub sub guys in and out against the Stanford team. So he admitted that on the conference call last night, Coach, that he did want to run the ball and almost probably to a fault where maybe there were some situations where he shouldn't have run the ball when they did. Um, so I, I think this was probably going to be as as conservative of an effort you're going to see from this. USC team, but there was a reason. It wasn't the general philosophy. It was more the philosophy to face a team like Stanford. I agree with you because uh, when you look at at Stanford or not Stanford, and then you look at USC, USC is a big play team. They've got great skilled players. They want to get in there, run the run the plays, run the hurry up offense before you can get set up, hit hit all the receivers, break plays, do this, do that, and that's what the philosophy is of the hurry up offense. I think they got away from that a little bit, uh, but you get away from things when you get in that type of atmosphere. And uh, fortunately, they were able to win, but they learned from that. So people will come back, see what you didn't do right, see what you did do right, and move on. There, there were some plays when it was third and five or third and six, and they ran the football. Maybe they should have thrown the football. But, you know, uh, that's second-guessing. And, and right now, this early into the season, I'm not going to get into that. And uh, second guess uh, after a victory like that game. So I'm just going to go along with what happened and see what's going to happen. I think that's what counts. Don't look back, look forward. All right. Uh, Well, let's talk some defense. Tark had a question. He said, Coach Harvey Hyde mentioned last week that our linebackers are undersized. And it certainly looked that way against Stanford as our linebackers repeatedly could not shed blocks. Going forward, will USC start getting Alabama-sized linebackers? Uh, and should we stick to the the quick, or should we stick to the um, quick hitting linebacker scheme, the quick linebacker scheme? Sorry. Well, uh, when you look at, you got to look at your opponents and who you're playing. And when you look at the Pac-12, you're looking at, except for Stanford, you're looking at a spread offense almost with every single team that's going to throw the ball as many times as they can. They got complete team speed, so you've got to have team speed on defense. You're not playing that many physical type of football teams as you used to in the past. Uh, This week at Boston College, they're going to face that type of team again. They like to pound you. You I don't want to call it the old style, but it's a huddle. They come out of the huddle. They line up. They try to pound you and play action pass, do those different things. And then once in a while, they'll throw in a uh, hurry-up offense to keep you off off guard. But uh, uh, they've already committed a a larger linebacker for next year. I think his name is, what, Cameron Smith? Is that correct? Yeah, Cameron Smith. Yeah, and he's a physical type of linebacker, probably 6'2", 225 pounds or more. Uh, but you just can't have those type of linebackers now. When you have, to, you have to look at your competition. You have to say, what do we have to beat in conference? So uh, in conference, you have all the hurry-up offenses everywhere in conference, Cal and Washington, Washington State, everywhere they're, they're, they're doing that. Oregon, you know, UCLA. So with this in mind, you've got to recruit the type of athlete that you need to win your conference. Uh, and then you have to eventually have a couple that can plug the hole and, and be that type of, of player. But right now, they're better off having the type of linebacker that can run. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the teams you're going to face, Coach, are the spread teams in the Pac-12. The Stanford's got, is a little different situation. And, you know, did it mean that uh, – that Hayes Pillard and Anthony Zaro had to, to play more, probably. Uh, but I thought Michael Hutchins came in and did a pretty good job uh, subbing in when Hayes Pillard went down. So, but yeah, it's, Stanford's going to be the anomaly in the in the conference now, not the norm. I agree with you 100%. And uh, 
Not everybody has that philosophy. But, you know, people have had a tough time beating Stanford, too. Right. <laughs> and so, so it's something that you, and you heard me talk about it, it's something that's uh, hard to get ready for in three days and then play on the road and play an early game. But you don't prepare for that. You don't prepare for that against all those other teams, teams that line up and pound you. And Kevin Hogan can throw the football. And Ty Montgomery might be the best player. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying any of the players in the in the Pac-12. But as an athlete himself, might be one of the best players or is the best player in the Pac-12. He can do it all. I think Stafford hurts itself, though, too. When they run the Wildcat, they don't need the Wildcat. One one. One of the snaps went over the head of of uh, Ty Montgomery, and I, I think they've got to stay with what they do and not get fancy. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. A lot of uh, questions up there for David Shaw and how they handle the red zone. Every single drive that Stanford had went into not only USC territory, but in, you know inside the 30-yard line. I met one, one of them might have got to the 32, but every single drive you're getting into the red zone area and only scoring 10 points is absolutely it's almost criminal to expect, but that's that's kind of the effort that USC defense put in there. It was. They came to play. They flew around. They sacrificed their body. They didn't let up. And uh, when you don't let up, good things happen. And when you make a goal line stand or a short yardage stand and you sack at the end of the game to win the game on that type of play, uh, that just brings nothing but confidence to your team. Because uh, no matter how it looks, it's not over till it's over. And in that type of situation, all of us felt Stanford's going to drive the ball down and kick a field goal. It's going to be overtime or score. And it didn't happen. And uh, so you never know what's going to happen in college football. All right, we've got a couple more. Earl in West L.A. says the ESPN announcers uh, stated that the Trojan defense appeared vulnerable to the passing game over the middle of the field. I thought so, too. However, my take is the defense was giving up the middle of the field in order to defend against the run What's your take, Coach? Well, um, I think that was obvious uh, because, first of all, FC didn't respond to that either. They didn't throw the ball into the middle of the field, so they played their safeties in different type of positions where they could help two on the outside receivers. If FC would have thrown the ball more to the middle of the field, I think they might have played a little bit different. But uh, uh, Stanford's, uh, Stanford's defense... Uh, uh, is designed to take away what you do the best. And right now, they, what they were doing is try to take away during that game, take away the run. FC, obviously, what didn't come into the game or whatever what their thoughts were as far as passing the football that much. You know, Stafford had two great corners and they have a great safety to him, Reynolds. So, you know, they're an experienced football team and, and they're going against younger players. And that might be the reason why they threw the ball more to Aguilar than they did to Juju or... Farmer, Farmer caught four four balls or whomever. But uh, you have to adjust during a football game. But as I mentioned earlier, sometimes you don't make the adjustments that you make on Monday. On Monday, it's very simple to sit back, we should have done this or they should have done that or whatever. But as a staff working together, these things work out. And uh, you're going to see a different type of offense, I think, too, out of USC. Uh, as the season goes along, they will utilize again as they did Fresno State. And everybody ought to look at Fresno State. You know, they got bumped by Utah. Uh, what's that guy's name up there? Travis Wilson or whatever his yeah, name is. Quarterback. Yeah. yeah, five touchdown passes. So uh, the big game against Fresno State early in the season, Fresno might not be that good. And from Fresno State, you jump right into Stanford, who's the Pac-12 reigning champion, who's beaten – Arizona State twice last year, year before beat UCLA twice. A pretty good football team, I'd say, and <laughs> Oregon too. Yeah, certainly. Uh, but uh, Co- coach, sorry, I think there was probably a little confusion on the question there. He was actually oh. talking about the Trojan defense appeared vulnerable to the passing game over the middle of the field, and they were, you know, you saw Stanford get some chunk yardage when they went to tight ends and and running backs out of the backfield. But he wanted right. to know, do, do you think the defense was giving up the middle of the field trying to defend the run? Right, right. They were, and not only that, they were playing soft, too. They didn't want any big plays against them, and they didn't get any big plays against them. They didn't get any home runs with Montgomery or, or somebody. They ran well. They ran to the football. They made the tackle. They Most of the time, they tackle pretty good in space. They missed some tackles. Uh, but, you know, remember, Hopper, uh, 
Safety Juice. These guys are big receivers. Big receivers. They're hard to cover, and they can run. They can really run. So, Ty Montgomery, throw him in on that. These guys are great players. Kevin Hogan's a great player. So, uh, you have a tough job as far as slowing these guys down. They're very skilled offensively in the passing game. And right now, this year, I'd say they're a better passing team than they are running team. They're more of a threat passing the football than they are running the football. Not that they can't run the football, but they don't have a Gaffney. Uh, Obviously, they have Sanders and Floyd. They're good players, but they don't have a Gaffney. So right now, I would say the future, you're going to see them throw the football more, and uh, teams are going to have to defend that. But SC gave that up. And then one last one for you, Coach. You said, I thought that this was a signature game for Nelson Aguilar as he became the go-to receiver for the first time in a big game, just as Robert Woods and Marquise Lee were before him. Your thoughts? And we, we obviously we had other people write in that they didn't like that, that he was the, the go-to guy. But um, it, it, was, it did look more like he was like the Robert Woods or Marquise Lee. No, he was. He was the most experienced receiver out there. So I think that uh, Cody knows what he's going to do more than he knows what the other players are going to do, especially when he's pressured and uh, go to the open area. I think he knows that better. So he went to Nelson more and Eggley did a great job, did a great job. And that one pass when they went where it was an incomplete towards, uh, I forget what quarter was, uh, Eggley came across the middle and he was wide open. It was a fourth down play, I think it was. It was incomplete. He basically was hurried so much he couldn't throw the ball properly. Otherwise, that would have been a big play too. He would have had his tenth catch and they would have converted that. So uh, as uh, as you as you – are, as you play with the other players more, you'll get to know, and they'll learn on what to do when you're scrambling around. And I think right now Nelson is more of an experienced player, played with Cody last year, and I think that's why they went to him. All right. Well, it's co- not like SC did last year with Lane Kiffin. If you want to know what they did, watch the Alabama game. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, road test against Boston College coming up next. We really appreciate you coming on the show, Coach, and sharing your thoughts and expertise. We'll see what happens. We'll talk to you on Monday next week when uh, the Trojans take on Boston College. Again, I want to thank all of our listeners uh, for listening, and uh, congratulations. It was a great win. It's always great to win no matter what the situation might be. Some of the headlines weren't what I liked, but, uh, hey, when you read the paper and you look at the final score, that's what counts. And 13-10, USC's victory is what it's all about. All right. Well, thanks, Coach, for that. Everyone else, back in a minute, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back. On the Peristyle podcast, we have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who was up there on the farm checking out USC's crazy 13-10 to win over the Stanford Cardinal. Dan, what's going on, man? How was, the, how was that trip up to uh, Northern California? You know, the, you know, the end was uh, – the, the, the result was great. And the fact that, you know, the kind of the fight, the, the fact that they just didn't give up, didn't give in, how I liked it that, you know, they – Sark wanted to battle them about, you know, when the calls started getting a little bit out of hand and typical Pac, you know, in typical Pac-12 fashion. I liked it that Pac came down, you know, at his own, you know, risk to his own reputation and all that. Uh, I think USC people had to like, you know, that that was a team that wasn't going to let you push it around no matter how how things were going. And uh, they wanted to come out of there with the with the W, and they did. And uh, that's uh, for you know. That's still a fairly young team, not in the best of situations. With Leonard, you know, we're not sure about you know Leonard Williams and how healthy he was, and you know, just two running backs. And 
Uh, it was a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive day. Uh, it, it's a big difference from, uh, say, two years ago when you know they got pushed around and kind of lost a game that you know they're ranked number two in the country. Um, so, from from all of those standpoints, and, and the other part of it, I think, was having twenty thousand or so USC fans in the stands. I think I think it really mattered. I think, you know, that's probably one of the issues with the Pac-12 officiating is they do tend to be a little bit influenced by the crowds. And uh, I think it helped a little bit that that USC fans were all over the stadium and, and vocal as heck. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I won't underplay that. The USC fan base did a, did a great job uh, Saturday. All right. Well, there's tons of good stuff to get to from this game. And we have a lot of questions, so maybe we can kind of touch on different points because people ask questions kind of all over the board. So I think it would be a good way to kind of express your thoughts on what happened in the game by answering these questions, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. All right, let's go to Dennis in Lancaster. He said, great win for USC. Regardless of the penalties, injuries, and lack of depth, USC pulled off the victory. My hat's off to the stellar defense that came through the clutch all game long. My question is, do you think Cody Kessler's toe injury had an impact on his throwing and Sark's play calling just seemed that they were they went to to the run more than they wanted to and the timing of his passes were a little bit off. Thanks Ryan, coach and Dan, keep up the great work and fight on. To be honest, I don't think it had anything to do with it at all. I think uh the way Stanford plays wide receivers, especially younger wide receivers, the things they get away with doing uh and, uh, you know, they disrupt you and they disrupt your timing a little bit. I do think USC absolutely believed that uh, to beat Stanford, you have to be able to run the football. And even though they beat them last year without doing that, uh, but that was their theory is uh, you have to be able to run the football. The, you know, the, the, the thinking is uh, longer drives, more time of possession, um, Defense doesn't have to be out there so much. The problem is when you get three and outs, which they did a few times, uh, Stanford has the ball back, and then they get a chance to, to wear your defense down. Uh, even with the time of possession advantage, Stanford's way. I mean, I think I would guess if Sark had to do it over again, he wouldn't admit this. He'd probably have a, a, a different game plan. But they were able to run it at the end of the game. They were able to run it, uh, you know, Buck and – and Justin, you know, made made enough runs there at the end to, you know, put him in position. And uh, so uh, from that standpoint, uh, I think, you know, but that I think was a game plan. I don't think it had anything to do with Cody. So uh, I just think, if you know, if the timing wasn't there, it was more Stanford, um, you know, the Stanford defense that, that always makes it tough on you. And uh, I would have liked to have seen him run more the the quick, uh, quick slants, more the uh, – uh, where you know where they really run crossing routes and run all the way to the sideline and make the Stanford kids follow you all the way, that kind of thing. But uh, they, you know they did what they did and uh, uh, you know they stuck to it, as as uh, Sark said, stubbornly and maybe too much. But they stuck to it and they survived. And Stanford kind of went away from what they had done when they got to the red zone. They started doing kind of goofy stuff. So they got away from their game plan, I thought, and uh, had guys running the ball that probably shouldn't have been running it and uh, made some really, uh, I thought, bizarre decisions. And, uh, you know, that's not normally the way USC Stanford turns out. But, uh, uh, and I thought, you know, they also kind of stalemated the issues with the officiating. I mean, I thought the chop block that took a touchdown away from Stanford didn't have to be called. It was a chop. It was an unusual chop block like you've never seen before between a, uh, a late arriving offensive lineman and a, um, and a running back who threw his body, uh, you know, at, at the USC defender, whose name I don't remember, who's at knees and just took his knees out. I think it might have been Delon Simmons. But uh, they didn't have to call that, and they did. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I think it was just – it's almost hard to describe, you know, when you say, is it, was it any one thing or it was a whole lot of things and a lot of things working together on both sides of the ball in both teams that we haven't seen before. And it is hard to kind of describe in, you know, in one 
you know, in one phase of the game or in one player. So I, I would say not Cody at all, actually. Okay. Uh, thanks for that one, Dennis. Let's go to Chris. Uh, he says, love the podcast. Never miss an episode. Thank you very much, Chris. First time submitting a question. Uh, it's for Dan. Why do you think USC was insistent upon attempting to run the ball up the middle on a physical team like Stanford? It seems like we attacked their strength. It became increasingly frustrating to watch because we moved the ball with ease through the air, especially on the first drive, but then overcommitted to the run the rest of the game. First and second downs uh, became predictable run attempts uh, for little or no gain, and Stanford began uh, attacking the box and stacking the box. We made no adjustment, and the drives repeatedly stalled as a result. I feel like the game was won despite our play calling. That's Chris and Cambrea. I don't know if it's the greatest play calling. Uh, and, and, you know, there's an advantage to being stubborn a little bit. And, you know, it did get you the Buck Allen 50-yard run that, that got the game tied up. So, uh, you know, it put them in a position to go ahead right at, right at that point, and they were able to run the ball on the last series. So uh, I think uh, actually conditioning plays as much a part of that. Uh, and being out on the field at the end, being down on the field, USC's kids looked like they were in better shape at the end of the game. And I think that shocked Stanford a little bit. Uh, they looked like they were, it was really hot. It was hotter than, than you really imagined when you were down on that field. And I think it shocked Stanford that the USC kids were a little fresher than they were. So that plays into a little bit the running part of it. Yeah, I think they went away from it a little bit. But I think Stanford adjusted after that first series. I think Stanford adjusted to what USC was doing, throwing the ball. And uh, USC felt like they were, you know, going to take take away the the pass game, and uh, and give them a little bit more of the run. You know, it might have looked like they stacked the box, but I, I don't think they were doing that as much as, uh, you know, just if the timing is off just a little bit, you know, they can make it pretty tough on you. But USC, you know, when you look at you know, the overall stats, I mean, Buck Allen had 154 yards rushing against Stanford against the Stanford team that hadn't given up. He's the first 100-yard rusher in the last 10 games against Stanford. So, in some ways, USC was pretty successful in what they were doing. Although there were times they ran the ball, I don't think I probably would have, and probably if Sark had to do it again, he wouldn't either. But uh, you know, it's one of those ones where you know Sark said. Pete Carroll would have said, this is a beautiful win. This is the kind of win you glory in, and, uh, and we'll take it. And, and, and I think that's their theory is uh, when they, you ask them, they say, we'll take it. Uh, we'll walk out of there and be happy about it. But I think they'll learn from it. And uh, I think they if they had to do things over again offensively and defensively, the game plans probably uh, wouldn't look exactly the way they played out in, in that game. I agree with you there, Dan. Um, let's go to Lamar. He had a question. Uh, it says, it feels great to see to see such a great display of defense and a presence of the running game. USC committed to the run, played smash, smash mouth football on both sides of the ball. Looking at the first two games, the team gave opponents a hard, a hard time to prepare for. They're able to play different styles of football. The conference is playing well, and I'm impressed with one of the newcomers, Utah, they beat Stanford last year, BYU, lost to Arizona State by one, had UCLA beat with a second-string QB in, in 2013. They are tough at home, and they represent the conference well. What is your take on our team and the Utes? Uh, that's from Lamar. Yeah, I think that, that Utah game, uh, with, with, you know, where they beat Fresno State, basically says, okay, you can add one more trip to the uh, schedule that, that looks like it's not going to be easy. Uh, and, um, you know, that's uh, – it's still a schedule I think that isn't impossible, you know, for USC to to get ready for uh, with the trip next week. At least they have a bye the week after, and you get uh, Oregon State and Arizona State, uh, two teams that throw the ball completely different ways of, of throwing the ball. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I kind of like the way the schedule sets up, and and you know, if you're in the Pac-12, you're probably got to be ready, uh, you know, to. Um, uh, you know, to play different teams in different situations where, yeah, the thing that always separated the Pac-12 for me was there are more teams that can upset you than in a lot of other places. Uh, more teams that think they got a chance to upset you, as Stanford uh, found out last year at Utah. 
However, USC does not have to go to Oregon or doesn't have to play Oregon either place until the championship game. So I think from that standpoint, uh, it's a schedule you probably would be saying, okay, this is the schedule we'll take. And, uh, but it, it, you know, it doesn't make it easier with, uh, with what Utah did uh, Saturday. It definitely does not. Um, it's one of those tough games. People are talking about like making a run and trying to go 10-0. and um, you had to beat Stanford to, to be able to do that, Dan. It's certainly a possibility. Arizona State's looming in a few weeks, but that that game, that Utah game, is going to be a tough one too. Well, um, uh, I guess ESPN's uh, football power index or whatever now says you know USC are the ones that run you know the thirty some thousand computer calculations for each team for each game or whatever, and they're now saying you know that you know the odds are USC will be ten and zero. Uh, going into the UCLA game, so uh, I guess we would uh, we would probably take that and, and and be happy to see how those last two games turn out. I mean that's like the dream scenario, obviously, and uh, we can talk about it. Uh, you don't want the team thinking about it, uh, but uh, but if they end up that way and end up with uh, UCLA and Notre Dame and and trying to you know, shoot for the Pac-12 championship game, I mean I think if you're thinking outside the box and ahead of yourself and all that. One of the things, if I'm the Pac-12 now, and, and, and years past, there wasn't any advantage to the Pac-12 helping U.S. not helping USC, but not you know they didn't give it a, a darn about what happened to USC because USC couldn't help the Pac-12 in the bowls, couldn't help them in the national rankings and all that. Not not enough. This year, the best scenario for the Pac-12 right now is probably for USC to go uh, unbeaten like that and get to the championship game against an unbeaten Oregon, which would give the Pac-12 a chance to get two teams into the Final Four. And, uh, you know, if you want to really think ahead, way, way, way ahead, way too far ahead, that would be, if I'm the Pac-12, if I'm Larry Scott right now, I think, man, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> and I think that would be because USCLA, or USC doesn't play Oregon in the season. Uh, that gives you a chance to have two unbeaten teams in the championship game. And uh, what the heck, you know, looking down the road is something we can do. They can't. But uh, if I were, uh, you know, if I were drawing that scenario out for the Pac-12, I'd say this is the best thing that could happen. All right. Let's see. Let's go to our next question. And this is going to be from Earl in West L.A. He says, wow, good teams find a way to win. Stanford made seven trips into the red zone and scores only 10 points. The coach gets an unsportsmanlike flag. The athletic director questions officials call. Andre Hidari gets called for a late hit on a kickoff. Team captain's ejected. We give up 10, point, 10 penalties for 87 yards. Statistically, it looks like the other team won, and we managed to, quote-unquote, steal a win. What a great game. I thought I understood why Hayes Pillards was ejected until I switched to the Oregon game, where I saw a Michigan State defensive player hit Marcus Mariota helmet first, and he was down, but apparently before the whistle. The penalty was called for a late hit, but not targeting. If you happen to see this first quarter play, can you or one of your experts please explain the difference between this and Pollard's targeting penalty and ejection? That's Earl in West L.A. Yeah, I mean, the rules are different for a ball carrier. And, and for example, I mean, this is where you don't like the rules. Uh, let's say, um, bum, bum, bum when uh, Ty Montgomery uh, gets that kickoff and has to, uh, or excuse me, on the punt return, and Chris Alvarado on the sidelines, the only guy in between. And uh, let's say Chris stands up, uh, you know, or drops his head, and and Montgomery drops it at the same time, and Montgomery just goes right through his face mask, let's say. Would he get called for targeting? No, he wouldn't. Uh, When the ball carrier is involved, and Montgomery was a ball carrier, and he's in an odd position if he's getting very close. I mean, his last step, his foot was on the field. Uh, Hayes is going over and talking to Hayes right afterwards. I mean, you could tell he didn't feel guilty because he really, in his mind, wasn't targeting. He had his hands up. The unfortunate thing, his head got there before his hands got there. So his helmet got there before his hands did. So his helmet got to the uh, Montgomery's face mask first. Uh, and then his, his hands got there. Uh, wasn't a great deal of, uh, of contact, uh, you know, one, one of those just killer hits, but uh, uh, one of those ones uh, you could have even called, 
called it and not ejected it. I think the, the, the adding the ejection, you don't have to eject on that on that call. And uh, I thought that was probably over the line. Uh, we'll see what happens when, uh, I mean, because uh, targeting assumes you know the intent uh, of the defensive player. And, 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 um, and talking to Hayes, and Hayes is not a kid that's going to tell you one thing and, and really know he did something else. He absolutely had one, one, one thing in mind there was just to get Montgomery out of bounds. And uh, as you could see, his hands coming up, he was trying to push him out of bounds. His head got there first. Uh, I probably wouldn't have uh, – I certainly wouldn't have ejected him on the play, but you, know, you had to call it. The Stanford fans were coming out of the stands. It you know, happened right in front of their, you know, their fans, and they, you know, they went nuts, and you know, the flag, flag came in. But uh, those are tough calls, but uh, I, I don't think he deserved to be ejected. And it was interesting last night on the conference call – Steve Skarkisian wasn't sure if he would miss the first half of the BC game, but my understanding of the rule, Dan, is that that's you're ejected during the second half of the game. You miss the first half of the next one. Well, I think there is though, the ability of, of each conference to take a look at that, and they still, I mean, they do replay, and then they also have the review uh, after the game before they, you know, that they could uh, say. You know, we've reviewed the film again. We've checked with everybody involved, blah, blah, blah. And we've decided uh, that uh, that he's not going to be ejected. You know, he's not going to suffer that penalty. I think they have the ability to do that. And I think if they do decide that he is going to be, uh, you know, held out the first half of the Boston College game, then USC has the ability to appeal. And I'm not sure, and I don't think Sark was, you know, certain as to what exactly is that process and who you go through and how you uh, – you know, when do you get it decided? Who decides it, and all of that? I I, I don't know that, but I I do think they think they've got uh, an appeal if he is uh, you know suspended as the rule says uh, for the first half of the Boston College game as well. All right, uh, let's move on to Jim. Had a question, Dan said, "Love your show, thank you very much, Jim." Uh, Greg Townsend is he a bust? I'm not an authority, but when I watch him, he really looks like a talented player. What, what do most people who have inside info project for him? Fight on from Jim. Yeah, he's had a good camp. He's uh, he showed us things we haven't seen from him. He's had, you know, the injuries a couple of years in a row and uh, hasn't gotten a chance. Uh, I mean, I think we all, everybody always thought he had, uh, you know, the kind of ability that could get him on the field and, and, and really contribute. And, uh, you know, what a shame in a, in a game where he really could have. Uh, he gets the chicken pox and, you know, gets can't get on the bus. Uh, you know, they find out right before they, they leave. And, uh, you know, really, really a shame. And uh, it's one of the things that makes the game so special is you've got, you know, Greg in that situation. And then, uh, you know, Leonard with his ankle not being sure, of, you know, how that's going to go. And then he just goes out there and it's just amazing uh, when you watch him, uh, how he the enthusiasm he plays with the uh, the the just you know the the play where he was chasing uh, uh, Ty Montgomery down from behind, basically running step step for step with him. That was that's amazing. I mean, it's just uh, he's a you know you fortunate you know to have him. Um, you just mentioned Leonard Williams and uh, Kevin in South Orange County had a question on Leonard Williams. He said, with the bye week after Boston College. What are the chances Sark sits Leonard Williams this week to give him three weeks rest to get him healthy for the remainder of conference play? I don't know, and I don't. I don't know. I w- I probably would not. Uh, I mean, he's a kid that wants to play football. Uh, you know, and I think part of that would be determined by you know Greg Townsend and, and what's his availability, uh, and uh, is he able to uh, you know contribute a little bit do you play him a little bit I, I don't know you want to overthink too much for the uh you know for the boston college game i think you want to prepare regularly knowing you've got the week off afterwards but uh, uh i think that might be overthinking it a bit just my guess um uh, well for me dan i don't think he's going to i wouldn't guess he's going to sit out a game that's not if you talk to Leonard williams that's not something he would want to do to save himself for the rest of the season but I probably I don't think he's 
Would you think he's going to practice this week? I would guess no. But what, what what do you think about practicing this week? Yeah, I don't know. It, it was so hard. He, he his problem was he couldn't get loose. He couldn't get that ankle loose. Once he got it loose, he did, it didn't show that he had, you know, he had he had that kind of an injury. Now they taped him in a way, ways we haven't seen him taping before. But uh, um, I would think they'll take it easy on him in practice this week, and as they should. And uh, and probably you would like to play him as little as you could this week, but you don't want to you know try to change his focus going into any week or any game, and you don't want to send any signals to the team that this is a game where you can kind of you know we don't really have you don't want to I don't think that's a signal you want to send, and that could be a signal that you're sending if you're kind of letting them know that, you know, your best player, well, we don't, we don't know if we really need him to play. So that would be my problem as a coach if you would send any of those signals out that maybe this isn't a game we have to really go 100%. You gotta, I think you just got to go play the game. And then you can make some decisions when you get there as to how the game's going. And, uh, you know, that wouldn't be uh, wrong at all. I'm not sure you make those decisions uh, this week in practice, or you communicate that to the team. The teams pick up on that stuff really quickly. I mean, that was one of the problems, I think, some of the time with Pete's teams where they went with a really uh, cut-back game plan because they didn't think they needed everything. They didn't always react as well when they, you know, thought that they could get away with uh, not having to, you know, go in firing all our guns, you know. And uh, the kids pick up on that, and they know – if the coach, you know, we're not going to, you know, do everything we can do or we're not going to, you know, be all out for this game, uh, kids pick up and say, hmm, coaches don't think this, this is much of a game. So that would be, to me, the wrong message. All right. Uh, let's see. We have a Twitter question. It's from uh, Dan805USC fan, who actually is a, a new subscriber to USCFootball.com. So thanks, Dan, for that. Um, he said pregame, it, it's, it was stated that uh, Coach Wilcox, he's talking about Justin Wilcox, the defensive coordinator, would go up to the booth. But then he said he saw him on the field after halftime. Any news on that or, or where he, he resides during games? Yeah, I'm not sure who said pregame. I, I thought I, – I wasn't surprised to see him down on the field. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of been his general M.O. down on the field. So uh, – uh, so I did it to me. I thought that was, uh, that was how he was going to do it. So, uh, but, uh, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about how they're, how they're doing the whole, you know, on the field and all that. I mean, you just figure they're going to do it the way that works best for them, the way they've been doing it. And, um, uh, you know, they're, the group was together at Washington and, uh, certainly looks like they've got it got it figured out as to how they want to do it all right uh let's see we got a couple more to get to um this is from matt he says in the college football playoff system and people are going to start talking about this now dan because usc is 2-0 and and, and beat two teams that won 11 games last year by the way um 2-0 he said the college football playoff system are they picking the best four teams at the end of the season or the best four teams over the course of the season. Many years ago, USC lost an early game, but it may have been the best team in the country as they closed the season. As commentators mentioned, strength of schedule it appears to be that the whole season, but this seems to be short-sighted. An example, Marcus Mariota or Cody Kessler is injured in the Pac-12 championship game and lost for the season, but their team wins. No way that the winner of the Pac-12 championship that just lost their QB is one of the best top four teams in the country. Do they get in or not? This is that's from Matt. Okay, that'd be a nightmare scenario. I think they could not resolve that fairly, and that would be really, you know, somewhat improbable. But if it happened, I don't know how, how would you keep a, an unbeaten team out just because they lost their quarterback? Uh, uh, and you do have enough time, or you know, you're going to guess that say the injury is uh, not going to allow him to play. Uh, however, I think the part of the question. It really matters is, uh, you know, is it overall for the season or who are the best four at the end? I think it's the best four at the end, but I think they still have to determine that. I don't think there's not written down anywhere as to uh, 
you know, who, what the criteria are. Because I'm sure there are going to be some, te- you know, some conferences and that arguing that our body of work and, and you know, da, 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 and others are going to say, you know, like a team like USC will have a chance well, the way the schedule breaks if they, you know, stay unblemished and finish up with UCLA and Notre Dame. I mean, that's the beauty of the schedule. You can go in and say, hey, you know, whatever happens in the championship game, you still got a, you know, a case that you can make uh, for, hey, we're one of the, one of the top four. Uh, so I think if I had to guess, they'll go for uh, the top four at the end of the season. But I don't think, you know, when Chris comes to show how that 13, you know, person committee decides that question, uh, it'll be interesting. That, you know, they may say, well, we can't really resolve that, and you've got to count the whole season. But uh, I would think it would be the, the top four at the end. And it was interesting that year when USC first, you know, made its appearance and went to the Orange Bowl, they got there only because they were number four in the BCS rank, you know, rankings. And even though they didn't go to the Rose Bowl, they were able to be selected by the Orange Bowl people because they were in the top four. So that was actually an example of a team like USC with two losses that did make it into the top four, according to the old Orange Bowl, or uh, excuse me, old BCS ranking system with the computers and strength of schedule and all that. So one would hope that as much as it was, you know, dismissed as, as, as not a fair system, that however that played out would play out the same way for a, a team in a similar situation that was by far one of the best four by the end of the year. Um, all right, one last topic we want to get to, and it's going to probably take us a little bit to get through this, Dan, because while we're doing, we're taping the show, a statement did come out um, on Pat Hayden. So Marcel's question was, although I don't agree with Pat Hayden's actions, the Pac-12 needs to look at the officiating from that game. Maybe Larry Scott should focus on getting the Pac-12 network into every home in California. So that's from Marcel. Uh, but while while we were recording, this kind of came up on Twitter. I want to read you the statement, uh, Dan, from, from the Pac-12. Uh, it says, The conduct by USC Athletic Director Pat Hayden was inappropriate. This is from Larry Scott. Such, such actions by an administrator in an attempt to influence the officiating and ultimately the out- outcome of a contest will not be tolerated. Um, it went on. He was uh, the conduct by both Steve Sarkeesian and Hayden were in clear violations of our conference standards of conduct policy. We appreciate the public apology and recognition of the errors in judgment, as well as Pat Hayden's self-imposed two-game sideline ban. We took this into consideration as we determined the discipline. Nonetheless, the actions fell short of our expectations of our head coaches and athletic directors as role models for our student athletes and important leaders of our institutions. So he ended up getting a $25,000 fine by the conference for inappropriate sideline conduct at Stanford. And there was also a statement by uh, Bill Hancock, uh, who is the uh, the college football playoff executive director. He said emotional outbursts at games are not a matter for the playoff selection committee to deal with. This does not affect Pat Hayden's capability as a committee member, we recognize that athletic directors cannot be dispassionate about their own teams. That's why we have the recusal policy. So a lot has been going on since we started tape of the podcast, Dan. I just wanted to kind of let that soak in a little bit for everyone out there listening to the podcast and then obviously get your reaction to the $25,000 fine and reprimand and the statement by Bill Hancock. Well, I mean, Hancock got it right. He's, he's a good guy. I like, I like Bill a lot. He, he's exactly right. Uh, stuff happens. Uh, probably that kind of stuff hasn't happened enough in USC games, and I'm glad it did. Uh, this is why you're probably really glad now that you don't have, you know, all the baggage that, you know, the previous coach, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin, that would have turned into a, an absolute disaster. And I think it was good that, you know, Sark was fighting for his team and trying to, you know, influence Pac-12 officials who have really nailed USC in this situation, you know, for so many years in the game. For example, where was Larry Scott four years ago when the, you know, Stanford clock operator uh, absolutely screwed USC? Where was it? Where was the statement? Where was the fine? Did we ever hear anything? Was there a public statement? No, they're gutless. I mean, they're, they protected some guy at Stanford, and everybody knows it. 
and he cheated USC in that game, and they did nothing. Or they didn't say they did anything. We've never known because it was Stanford, and that's, yeah, that's their fair-haired boy. So I think it's the best $25,000 USC will spend this year in athletics. Uh, I think they stalemated those officials and made them think twice, and I thought that was a good thing. I thought it was a good thing for the team. I thought it was a good thing for USC. I think it, you know, maybe it will take a, you know, a hit a little bit on, on Pat's reputation. But I think when you do something like that for your team and for your program, I don't think that's a big hit. Uh, I'm glad Hancock decided it the way he did. I think the Pac-12 ought to start looking at its own. I mean, this, that was actually the best crew they've got left. And that's pathetic. It was 18, 18 flags, 155 yards. I mean, you think these are, are two really bad, badly coached, uh, terribly disciplined teams? Or, uh, you know, what else is going on here? And uh, uh, I think the Pac-12, again, has to take a look. There's no other game in the country, no other conference in the country that would have that kind of, you know, flag, uh, flag-a-thon that they had Saturday. And, uh, I mean, you watch it, I was watching the replay, and uh, Fowler and Herb Street could hardly, you know, talk about anything else because <laughs> you couldn't go from one play to the next without, you know, the little flag symbol coming on, and they're trying to figure out, you know, what was that call? What was that call? Uh, so there was a lot more going on in that game that matters for the Pac-12 than Pat Hayden coming down to the sideline. And if that had to happen to highlight it, uh, good for them. And good for, uh, that's kind of what I, I said yesterday. I mean, it's good for Pat, good for USC, and maybe good for the Pac-12 in the long run. I mean, they're phony balonies, and uh, they're going to cover up for the, you know, the incompetent officiating that we've seen forever. I mean, you know, I've been covering them for 12, 13 years. Uh, they're a laughing stock, and uh, they've got to get better. And they're, they're weak. I mean, there are more plays probably in Pac-12 games. Or, you know, they throw the ball, they challenge, you know, more things happen, I think. And uh, when you have weak officials like they have in the Pac-12, you get more plays where they don't know what to do or they, you know, feel like i got to do something and i got to throw something. And um, it's, it's, it's too bad. I think the focus on Pat is the wrong place to focus it. The focus should be on the officials on the field. And if Larry Scott has any sense at all, he'll do something about this. But my guess is he won't. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But I I agree with you, Dan. I'm a little shocked at the outrage about him being on the playoff committee. To me, and what I've tweeted about, and you know, most people seem to agree with it, his first call of duty his first his first priority should be his job which is being the athletic director i don't think you would ask condoleezza rice to do anything differently that would jeopardize her job or or make her do her job any differently just because she's on the playoff committee i don't think you want the athletic director to act any differently than he would if he was or was not on the playoff committee that's a separate well, thing and There's he didn't know what was happening he just know he just knew somebody said hey you need to come down here he didn't know if you're the athletic director and you're at the game and somebody says you need to come down here, uh, who knows? He might have, you know, really kept it from getting worse. Uh, might have been a real, I mean, it's a hypothetical, we don't know, but he could have. I mean, that could have been a really good thing that he did at, at the risk, of, you know, his own reputation. But uh, to act like, uh, I mean, for the, this is the problem with social media world we've got now, is you've got these little weenies at USA Today, whoever who was the first one that, Oh, I'm outraged. Get him off the committee. I mean, the game wasn't over, and he's already writing his little column because nobody cares about this guy otherwise. So he had to try to jump onto something that he's, of course, watching the game in his pajamas at home somewhere in his basement. Uh, and, uh, you know, now I got something I can get out there first. I can be the first one to call for his dismissal from the, you know, college football selection, playoff selection committee. You know, that's, that's the problem. I mean, everybody was trying to be, you know, first with the most outrage. And did, did anybody pay attention to those people other than saying, what an idiot you are and how much you don't know about what you're talking about? <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, you know, you get out there first and then everybody had a – and then, of course, ESPN is going to jump on it with, like, ever. I mean, the one idiot announcer who was doing the updates was doing – you know, tying every update in the game broadcast to Pat Hayden. 
you know, if there's something happened in another game, he said something like, maybe they need Pat Hayden to run down on the field for them. You know, what a, a bunch of jerks. You know, at ESPN, I thought, handled themselves really badly. Really, really. I thought, you know, Mark May and Lou Holtz and, uh, and, and um, Reese Davis, who I guess is worried that Pat won't vote for Alabama, maybe, Reese, uh, is, uh, you know, their outrage, that faux outrage was, was a joke. I mean, it was just an absolute joke. And uh, th- that we should let that influence any discussions. And I'm glad Bill Hancock didn't. Good for Bill. And that's the exactly right answer. And it's the kind of answer that the Pac-12 probably should have given. But these are the guys that went after uh, Matt Barkley. What a bad kid he was. Remember, he had to be disciplined for, you know, uh, the comments about Boy Scout Vontez Perfect. You know, remember that was, yeah, Matt was threatening. Uh, they just, you know, years of this get you to the point where when it's the Pac-12 and it's officiating and it's decisions about discipline and things like that, you know it's going to be wrong because you know they're going to get it wrong because they, you know, if it were flipped around, if it were flipped around, Stanford doesn't hear the same kind of stuff. I, I, <laughs> I agree 100%, Dan. It's hard to argue with that. It's just it's more of a head scratcher, but I think you know they did what they had to do. They end up winning the game. That's the important thing. This will kind of blow over. Uh, Michael Lev tweeted, "What sucks about this is the Hayden sideline thing. Is that all the TV people are going to be wasting our time tomorrow asking Steve Sarkeesian about this, which is true. We'll probably get more more of a crazy atmosphere at practice on Tuesday. But um, you know, big win. You know." Got to go on the road to play a, a not that great Boston College team and head into a bye week. I think they're they're handling this okay. They'll get through it. Oh, and, I think uh, the best thing is this reinforces all of that for this team. They just look at those you know those people who are going to show up with cameras tomorrow and won't watch practice, won't have any idea what's going on at practice, won't know anything about you know other than can we get a sound bite from Sark and, and um, can we get a Lane Kiffin esque soundbite from Sark. You know, that's, that's why they'll be out there. And, and, and I think this team has handled so many of those situations that this probably actually helps them rather than hurts them. This probably helps them focus on the important things and gets them totally away from all the unimportant stuff that's swirling around. It, it does also make the point, though, is there a more headline-grabbing program in America than USC? year after year, week after week, if you do it at USC, they're going to pay attention to you. That probably in the long run helps. Uh, it's just amazing. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. Uh, we had a, a nice long segment with lots of questions, so we appreciate it. Obviously, after a big win, you're going to, we know we're going to get that. So thanks for everyone sending those questions in, and thank you, Dan, for uh, answering them all. Okay. Enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Another, uh, another week. Covering USC football. That's just the way it is around this this program. So, But thanks to Dan Weber. Thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde. And thank you for all tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.